and welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. We have one of my favorite children's authors going to be on the show today, and I fell in love with one of her books in particular, Wish Child, and I could not get enough of her. In fact, I actually bought the uh, collector's edition for this particular author recently. But before that, we're going to get into the small advert for Marianne Curley's The Time Guardian Book 4 called The Shadow. The battle is over, the war is won, the prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss, at odds with friends in the guard. He finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows, sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess's Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to follow the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love. And that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation? Who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battle through the past and into the impossible future, darkness looks around every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And with that exciting uh, little blurb, we're going to jump into the conversation of someone I truly adore and I am so excited to have on today, Celia Reese. And I apologize if I butchered that, your name. I say that to everyone because I never know if I'm going to get it right the first time. <laughs> Absolutely right. Perfect. Well, hey, I'm on a roll today. That's <laughs> I've been having one of those um, weeks where, you know, people come in with really what I think is English names. So I pronounce it the English way and then I'm told... No, uh, it's pronounced this way, and of course it's the American way. And I'm like, okay, got it, totally right. So, do you want to tell us about the book that you're you're excited about most, and in, in your newest release that's coming up? Uh, well, I've um, my I guess my last book I'm still excited about, which was uh, it started off being called Miss Graham's Cold War Cookbook, and then. When it went into paperback, it was changed to Miss Graham's War. And it was published during the pandemic, which was a difficult time to publish for everybody. Um, and in a way, that was kind of difficult for me. Um, but it still it still did well. And it got a, what I what really excited me about it was I got so many lovely really lovely emails and messages through my uh, my website and reviews on Amazon. So many people said they really loved the book and it got them through because it's like when you publish a book in a pandemic and people get sick and they get COVID and they're stuck in bed, they're stuck at home, some people with long COVID and takes ages to um, recover. And you want something that's going to absorb you, going to take you into a different world, and you really, you really want to, you want to read, and that's all you can do sometimes. And yeah, I, I got lots and lots of messages saying the book really helped them get through what was a tough time for them, and that was really nice. It's it's funny you say that because I saw it come out and I got so excited about it, and I was like, yes. Celia Reese has released something because I'd gone through the period of where I'd searched all your backlist and I'd actually bought up you know, and off all your backlist because I was so excited about just 
going back to good books, like I had gone through a period of a reader's slump where I couldn't find anything that absorbed me in a way that I couldn't put it down. And my husband thought I was crazy when all these Celia Reese's started coming in the post box. And he's like, what are you doing? Uh, I hit 900 books recently. So I'm really in the doghouse. And I said, well, I said, I want my kids to be able to experience the books I love. And one of the first books that I kind of, once I'd experienced Marianne Curley, I found your book, Witch Child in the Library, and I I devoured it. And then I was like, where's the second one? And I, I got that and I went through that. But the library never had the last one. So I had to wait a really long time so I could <laughs> buy it because I, the library didn't have it and they wouldn't order it in. I was so mad. Um, but yeah, that was the first sort of introduction to your material that I actually just adored. And then I started reading everything I could get my hands on the that had your name on it and that that was my really introduction to you and when I saw your new book come out I was kind of going through it like I'd moved back to Shetland I was in with my parents and I kind of hit a real slump I was struggling to read in the pandemic and I don't know that actually I I did I found it difficult to read I've always been a massive reader I yeah I'm always reading something sometimes two things or three things at once and for some reason, I just couldn't read. I started reading uh, Hilary Mantel's book, you know, her latest, right. her last book, um, yeah. uh, Bring Up the Bodies. And, and and it took me about eight weeks to read it. And I'm a fast reader. I and mean, it's a long book, but it's, yeah, I, yeah. I would have usually read, read it in a week or at tops two weeks. And I didn't have anything else to do, but I still couldn't read somehow. It was really strange. I, I think it just threw like everybody off their games because I had I had actually walked away from publishing and writing at that point because I had sort of become very disillusioned by you know the whole industry and I thought I need to I need to change I need to to walk away for a bit get my head on and I went and I worked with kids and then <laughs> I'd literally been working with kids for like two months in the school and the pandemic hit and I was like. Oh no, because then I had to get used to remote working um, because I was high risk. Like I have arthritis, so they they were like, "You're high risk. You stay home." And I'm like, "Well, how do you how do you teach a kid from a computer? This is uh, this is new." And yeah, I mean, it totally. I couldn't write. I couldn't read, and you know, I'm trying to juggle my mom and my dad and uh, teach them what a a writer's. Um, way of living is like you know we have when we get into the groove please don't talk to us because yeah yeah, you know but my dad would come in at five o'clock and he'd be like right dinner no I'm writing nope you're coming to dinner oh goodness sake like I could not catch a break and then we moved when the the Shetland Islands opened and they gave us the ferries back we jumped on the ferries and we moved um back to the mainland in the UK and I thought, great, everything's going to go back to normal. And then the second lockdown hit, and I was just like, I give up. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I was like, I spent the whole of last year in and out of hospital. And I, yeah, I couldn't read. And it, it I must admit, I, I picked up Witch Child, and that got me through a large portion of being in hospital and not knowing what was going on or what was happening. Because they were awful at telling me when they were going to do things and, you know, spending three weeks where I couldn't sleep. So, yeah. And I, normally I would read a book 
one or two, maybe three books at a time. I'm terrible in the same. I have a book for the bath. I have a book for bed and I have a book for the car. And uh, <laughs> that's my system. You know, like if, if I'm going somewhere, books in the car, big book for the bed and, you know, maybe a medium sized one. So I don't kill my wrist uh, for the bath. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was weird. And even my husband was like, you're not reading as much as you normally do. So yeah, I was, I was, I was relieved to see you were, you were publishing in the pandemic because um, I was a bit concerned about a lot of writers who were, I think a lot of people stepped away from publishing for a while. Yeah, it was difficult. I mean, my, the book was scheduled to be published anyway. It was scheduled actually in March. And the last, oh, right. the last thing I did was, you know, went anywhere. I went to a meeting in London um, about a week, two weeks before the lockdown um, yeah. about publicity and marketing and everything that was going to happen. And then none of that happened. Everyone was on furlough. It was, it was, it was a difficult time, but you know, you have to take these things. There's nothing you can do. Um, yeah. They, they, they postponed the publication till July, but it still, it did. Nobody, I mean, nobody knew how long it would last, or the new thing. Then another strain had come along, so it was just, you know, it got out there, and that's that's all you can say. I mean, for me, it was special because it was my first adult book, and yeah. it was about the main characters based on my aunt. So it's the first time I'd ever written really about my own family. That they, yeah. some of them are actually in the book, and so for me, it was a very special book, very important. Um, and it's disappointing when a book that's special—I mean, all all our books are special to us—but yeah. and that's one of the reasons why it can be difficult. Writing can be difficult because people are not seeing it the same way you see it. Um, exactly. But still, I I wasn't. In the end, I I it was it was like kind of the worst thing that could possibly have happened happened. And then it didn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, was, I do. It was yeah. the worst thing, but it didn't. It didn't matter in the end. It was. I was happier for people to be happy to read it, and in a difficult time, and for it to help people like that. Um, yeah. And if it had been a you know overnight success and then just disappeared, because it's still chugging along, and book clubs read it, and people get back to me. I had a a really nice email yesterday from someone saying. Um, how much they'd enjoyed it and yeah it's it's that's the satisfaction you get I think it's it's kind of funny you say that because it's actually scheduled for one of my I'm going to be doing once a month I'll be doing book spot um spotlights so it's like once a month they get like a, just a little time with me I'm going to sit down and tell them what I've been reading my thoughts on it and I actually scheduled it for September I'm like this is the book I'm going to talk about in September and I take like maybe two or three books and I say right these are the ones I'm talking about in September these are the ones for and my honestly everyone thinks I am insane to start a podcast at the tail end of a pandemic <laughs> while being a writer and sitting for my BA honors because I thought you know something in me thought I'm not doing enough I'm writing and I'm editing and I'm studying but I'm not doing enough I'm going to take on a podcast <laughs> So yeah, I'm one of those kind of writers that can't sit still. I have to constantly be working. And I think for me, like going out and interacting with readers and doing book tours, that was fun for me. That was the moment of 
sheer joy I got when I was talking to readers. And I know that must have been the same for you when you were interacting with readers when you were yeah. on the road. And no, to was, not have that is crazy. Yeah, though. it's very strange not to be doing that. And um, and also, I mean, for me, it was a transition from when I, I was writing for, you know, for young adults and yeah. Um, and I did lots and lots of school visits and I used to spend and lots of festivals and lots of, and then, then it kind that kind of stopped because I'm writing for adults now and it's different and a different setup. Um, and all the, all the festivals went on zoom or they, they stopped altogether. And it's, it has been a really quite a difficult time connecting with readers. So one of the best ways has been actually from doing zooms with people being interviewed yeah. by people like you and, uh, and connecting to readers in that kind of way, you know, it's a different kind of way. Um, before the pandemic, I'd never done a zoom meeting. Well, I've maybe done once or twice with publishers, but I, yeah. you know, it all kind of, Oh, is my mic turned on? Have I done this right or that right? <laughs> and now it's like second nature really. So, um, yeah. It's a really great way, though, because you can connect. To, I've done interviews with people in America, in Canada, uh, in India, Malaysia, all over the world, which I wouldn't normally have done at all. So, how are you so finding it? Great. How are you finding it? Like going from an in-person experience to a very technology experience-based world for you? Is that been a huge leap, or has it been like a smooth transition? And once I got used to turning my mic on and, you know, <laughs> doing all that stuff, and no, it's not, I tell you, it's odd because I'm not sure that, you know, if we were in the same room face to face, there'd be a different feeling. Definitely. Yeah. I think that is different. You don't get that kind of close connection because, you know, you before we were actually on air, as it were, you'll probably have a cup of tea together and a chat and, you know, you yeah. get to, get to know a bit more about me as a person and I get to know about you as a person. And you don't have that, you know, that doesn't no. And I miss that. I miss, I miss things like festivals where you'd be, you get, just get to know people just because you were staying in the same hotel or having breakfast or talking to them in between yeah. gigs or in between appearances. And yeah, I mean, it, it's it's become more isolating, I think, for writers. It's important to keep yeah. in touch with fellow writers, you know, like people you know and have, like, um, next week I'm going to, to lunch with in for the first time for two, three years, two years, I suppose, wow. in London with some writer friends that we used to get regularly every six months. We'd meet yeah. in a restaurant in London. because, And with that, we haven't done this to be the first time in on more than two years, I think. Well, the last one was before Christmas of 2019. Wow. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I started all well, my writing career sort of working with wrestlers. So like it was just a totally different experience, but it taught me deep point of view because yeah. like you're almost going into their brains to write a character, but then you also have to convince them to do it. And for me, like, that whole experience is in person. I mean, you can't do that on a remote call or, no. you know, I mean, you have to physically be there. And then I transitioned out of that industry after sort of realizing it's a very male dominated behind the scenes. Anyway, it's very male dominated industry and there's not a lot of chances for female writers. 
So I thought I'll, I'll be an author because I have so many stories to tell. And I started working with a wrestler to create that story. And even he misses it. Like he teaches at a wrestling school, but he has to do it on zoom. And I'm like, how can you teach wrestling if you're not physically there? Like, I'm pretty sure you have to be there for that. And he's like, Oh no, there's a whole system. And it's, it's so, it baffles me beyond sort of belief. Like I'm trying to get used to, to sitting on a, a website, talking to people about things that, you know, I would have been talking to you in a bookstore with a cup of coffee saying, hey, yeah. isn't this crazy? You've got a Scottish author and, a, and an amazing British author in the same room. Like, this is this is insane. And what I love about your transition to adult sort of novel base now is I kind of feel like we're in the same kind of club because I spent so long trying to bring sports romance to what it is now. Yeah, and it's crazy because when I was doing it, nobody was doing it, and now it's sort of slowly took off and it's projecting upwards. Well, and I kind of, yeah, and I look at you, and you're you're completely changing everyone's view with your book because I was able to actually go and see the reviews and see the different things that was said, and I was like, yeah, this is why I love this author because everything she does, you connect to, and you get completely sucked in. And you just feel like you're you're being carried along in that world, almost on a cloud. And you get to just really be a part of it. And I I spoke so much about your stuff to somebody else. They actually went and bought quite a few of your books because <laughs> they're like, Crystal, oh, great, yeah. Wow. And I, I so they they spent their because we all have as authors and writers and readers, we all have a book allowance that we have per month. I don't know if you do this, but I'll say, right, okay, I'll spend 20 quid, maximum 20 quid a month on books. But boy, I can stretch that 20 quid <laughs> when I do all these interviews. And my husband's looking at the, the mail coming in the inbox and he's like, Crystal, how many books did you order? Yeah. I don't want to admit it, you know, kind of looking away sheepishly. But yeah, it's it's been great because I've had a lot of authors who – have not really been doing appearances or talking to people and they're kind of coming on the show and they're opening up. I mean, Shirley Cannon's just gone through one of the most horrendous three, four years and she's coming on the show later on this year and she's opening up again to her fans and her readers because they, they really supported her through her, her own sort of scandal and stuff. So I feel like this is a safe platform for everyone to come on. Um, you know whether you're a first-time author or whether you've been doing it for a number of years because it really is it's just you know we we're all big readers at heart and we all love books and we all have our own take on things so yeah it's it's good and I'm I must admit I can't wait to actually do the review on yours (laughs) sorry I can't wait to do the review on your new book (laughs) I've been trying really hard not to read it before I came on with you just because I I didn't want to spoil anything (laughs) because I'm terrible for that so um, going into the book portion, what is the book that has stuck with you the most, especially during all this craziness? Um, oh, that I've been reading after I, yeah. after yeah. I, when I've started reading again, as opposed yeah. to just reading Hilary Mantel for a month. Um, well, I once the thing that I really, really love, but I'd read. So, I mean, I, I don't know technically whether it counts because I'd read one or two of them before is Mick Heron's Slough House spy novels. Oh, right. TV at the moment. Um, 
And I just absolutely love them. I've read all of them. And I mean, it, it, you know, I wait for it to come. I pre-order on Amazon and, and I can't <laughs> like, wait. Like all of us. Yeah. Well, I just, so I think they're great. And I really enjoyed those. And that was, that was, I mean, I suppose we're all go back to when we were young readers. And I used to love it if I found an author. One, you know, I'd read one book and then I'd read all the other books. And yeah, in, exactly. In a sequence, a series. I mean, I I read um, uh, I read all game. I I'm not a huge huge fantasy fan, but I read yeah. all of Game of Thrones. My oh, excuse, right. my excuse, and watched them all as well. I mean, I watched them when I was I was sick. I had really bad bronchitis for, a, oh, and no. I was really ill for a couple of weeks, months, yeah. really, and. The only thing I could do was lie on the settee and watch TV. And my yeah. husband hates fantasy. And I wanted, <laughs> secretly wanted to watch Game of Thrones for years. And yeah. I said, anyhow, I was so ill. He went and bought me the box set. Um, it cost 70 quid. So he must have been really, really, like, you know, he knew. Feeling guilty. So, yeah, he let yep. me watch it. And then when I was writing a book called Glass Town Wars, which is about, it's based on the on the kind of Brontes the the Bronte children's fantasy world. Um, yeah, I thought, well, it's a fantasy, right? So I really ought to read some fantasy. So yeah. I just read all of them, and and that, what I did was I kept going to this. I knew that in the Oxfam bookshop, the whole shelf of them is always a shelf yeah. of, of Game of Thrones, and I just go and. I'd buy, take one back and buy another, take one back and buy the next one. So, um, I yeah. quite like, I quite like if I want, if I'm kind of need comforting a bit, like in the, you know, you need a safe space really in your reading. You don't want yeah. it to be experimental. You don't want to read something you're not sure about. You've never read before. It's nice to read a whole sequence of books by someone you like and you're, and you're comfortable with the characters as well. Are you know the characters and you um and that you want to you want to be more about those characters and stay in their world, I guess it is. It's like world dwelling, isn't it? Where you want to yeah. be in that world. Um the other one, I guess, uh, in the same sort of vein is Michael Connolly, who writes um the Harry Bosch American yeah. crime thrillers. I'm I I like American crime thrillers. I mean it's one of my All right. Uh, yeah one of my go-to reading areas and um <laughs> and yeah I like and I will read his books I you know I haven't read all I mean he's written like god knows how many so I yeah. there's always one I haven't read and I like the character and I like the I like like the LA world I, and I like them on tv as well I watched the tv series when that was on I, I must admit I'm a, an NCIS fan I got into NCIS when it started and I followed it for years because it it was such an easy thing to watch. I never had to think about it. And if I was writing, it never interfered with what I was writing. And it's I had uh, Fiona Cummings on, who is uh, an amazing, she's an amazing crime writer. Honestly, I I'd never thought I would pick up a crime novel and fall in love with it. And she was my first crime novelist I ever read. And her publisher sent me the arc it was just because I was doing book reviews at the time and I fell in love with her and every time I see one of hers come out I do the exact same thing I 
go and I pick it up and I and I don't read the blurb, which I really should do, but I don't. <laughs> no, I'm one of these people. I don't like that. I, I don't, don't like know. blurbs. Yeah. It, I feel like it ruins things. If if, if it's a if it's a um if it's a a, a, a writer I don't know. I'll re- obviously read the blurb or a book yeah. I'm not familiar with. But if it's a writer I know, I sometimes won't read the blurb because I don't want to know what happens. I want to yeah. discover it myself. Um, so, yeah, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. See, it, it's so funny you say that because I hate blurbs. I decided when I did Marie's World that I wasn't going to do a blurb <laughs> that was long because everybody would said the same thing to me. They were like, blurbs just destroy this because we, we wait for those sort of you know those hooks so I just put one sentence on my book and it said twins turn on each other for fame and glory that was all I put on it and the ones that actually came to my book signing said they all loved it just for that because there wasn't any big spoilers it yeah. was just simple and they really admired that. And I, and it's weird because the more authors I come on with, everyone says the same. Like, they don't read the blurbs either. <laughs> so, like, I don't even do it with a new author. If I like the title and I look at the cover and I think, ah, I kind of know what that is, right, I'll read it. And, and I do. And it's very difficult to actually get me away from an author that I like, that I know, to read something new. Because... I get almost in that comfy zone of, oh, I know this, you know, when, when one of my author friends died and she didn't have any more stuff that I could actually read. I was a bit sad because then it meant I had to go find somebody else. And I have like books I go to for what I call kick up the butt books, you know, to get me <laughs> back in the writing kind of mojo. And my, my go-to is Catherine Cookson. Oh, right. Yeah. Because her, her whole journey as a writer and her whole her obstacles she overcame, like the dyslexia and the fact that she wrote as she would speak and the fact she actually wrote a lot of books into a dictaphone and somebody else wrote it down for her inspired me because I'm dyslexic. I I have those struggles. I understand a lot of what she went through. And it it's my reminder if she can do it, I can blink can do it. So <laughs> it's, I, I call great. that my kick out the book, book <laughs> books, you know, and Ian thinks it's hilarious because he knows when I'm going through a, a writing slump because the cat and Cookson will come out and he'll be like, oh, no. <laughs> I even like start talking with a slight sort of Liverpoolian accent for, from <laughs> nowhere, completely random. And my, my best friend, she's from England, but she grew up in Aberdeen, so she completely understands my accent moments. And she will laugh and she'll be like, you're reading a Catherine Cookson again, Crystal. <laughs> 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 but it's good because it's she's somebody that's it's almost vanishing now the amount of people yeah. i talk she to still, they don't know who she, she still is has her, i'm sure she still has her stalwart fans um yeah but i'm, I'm writers like katherine cookson a, a what i call a safe pair of hands you know you can trust what once you you're reading one of their books you can trust them you know yeah. not just not exactly what you can expect but she knows she knows what she's doing. She knows her craft. She knows exactly how what she's doing. She's not going to, to let you down. She's not going to 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 go off on a tangent. She's not going to have massive 
plot holes in the middle of it that you're thinking, hey, hang on a minute, what about so-and-so? Or she's not going to fudge the ending. She's going to do exactly what she's always done, which is is turn out a professional piece of work to for her readers. She knows her readers, she knows what they like, and she produces work for them. And, you know, that's brilliant, I think. I think yeah, and I, like I kind of such such professionals. Yeah, they really are. And she's she was such somebody I really admired. In fact, when I first started writing, I wrote exactly how I speak. Unfortunately, I have a very sort of Shetland um, upbringing where my English is maybe not the best. So I, I had to kind of learn that it doesn't matter. Yeah, and I, and I had to learn kind of a lot of the tricks of the trade and the craft, and I went away and I learned about deep point of view, and I learned as much as I could essentially. Um, but her, she, I turn back to her every time, and and I make a point in sort of like when people are talking about historical fiction, or they, you know, they say to me, oh, "I need to know of somebody to read when it comes to historical fiction." I always, always point them in her direction because. I just think that she's somebody that's so underrated now and under kind of appreciated. And I, and I think that that's like a little banner I carry is for her, is it to say? It's a good little banner to carry. And also she wrote about ordinary people's lives in history. You know, there's been a lot of emphasis in historical fiction of famous people or kings and queens and and you know posh people toffs um yeah yeah. you know it's all but she that's different like Downton Abbey world but hers is it's about real people and their own their lives and their struggles and how difficult life was for people I think it's important that modern readers understand and, and a writer like her is really good at getting getting people to actually be in the period, in the feel of the period, what it must have been like, and she's she's a great go-to reader as well for anyone who wants to set a book in a particular period. Um, yeah. you know, she is she. I I always, well, not always, but sometimes if I'm writing about writing historical fiction, I'll read other historical novelists, yeah. not because. Well, sometimes because they do my research for me. No, no, not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, I agree with you on that, actually, to be fair, like when I started doing. I don't know how to do it. They've done it because they're about to be right. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I and But she's, yeah, she's a, she's a good, those, those kind of, they're quite old fashioned now, but they've, they, you know, they, they, they knew what they were doing and they told a good story. And they she told really did, yeah. stories, ordinary people's stories, but they knew how to tell a story. They really did. Would you say that she's maybe been a little bit of an influence on you in your writing? Not so much Catherine Cookson, because I, I read her a bit, a little bit, a long time ago. Um, I, I'm the one, the the writer. I, I mean, I do admire Hil- Hilary Mantel, but I'm a bit like I am not worthy. Can't even think about writing it as well as like her. But right. um, I think, like, actually, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it the other day. When I first started writing, I started writing, I wrote thrillers for teenagers. That's what I did. Yeah. I set out to do it. That's what I did. Um, but I went with, before I was even published, I'd written a book, but I hadn't been published. I went to Hay with a friend to see Philippa Gregory, 
who oh, right. I do admire Philippa Gregory. She's a she's a really able writer, and she and really quite, is. Yeah, quite um quite undervalued in lots of ways because she's she's so popular and because she sells so she's a best selling writer. People often think, oh, she can't be very, you know, you know what I mean. That they kind of yeah, she's she's very kind sellers. of forgotten about. Yeah, I think she's 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 a very very good writer and she's incredibly skillful and accurate historian and I think that I learned quite a lot for and that was ages before I actually wrote historical fiction but when I was going to write historical fiction because it's quite scary because I know I I read history at university but I didn't I've never written any historical fiction at all really except for a little bit in a vampire book which was a sort of written in to it was written I read in, that one. Yeah, I loved that. <laughs> um, yeah, like um, it was written partly in the present and partly in Victorian England. Um, so, Blood Sinister. <laughs> yeah, Blood Sinister. Blood I, Sinister. I was going to say it, then I thought, no, I'll let you say it. <laughs> yeah, Blood Sinister. So, and and yeah, and I loved writing that. And really, I lo- I love anything like vampires and stuff. Um. But I had to write some of it, so I had to do kind of historical research for that. And I liked doing it, and I enjoyed it. But when I had the idea for Witch Child, I knew that this was going to have to be totally set in in the in the 17th century, and it was it was going to be a challenge. And I'd never done anything like that, so I did go back to and looked at people like Philippa Gregory and the you know not so much for how they write, but what sort of thing they included in their writing because yeah. when you're writing historical fiction the temptation is you do all this research you put it all out you want it all on the page you know you want everyone you to can. know all this yeah stuff, um whatever you've been finding out about so um so yeah she was she's a she's a, a good model I think and um yeah I read her I think more than um probably the most influential if if I was influenced by anyone it would be her yeah and and that's the thing like I had never really other than yourself and Catherine I'd never really kind of connected in with this sort of historical fictional world and then I started learning about Elizabeth Chatwick and I started learning about all these other writers that were doing so well in fic- like the historical fiction. I thought it was just this tiny niche genre. And then all of a sudden I found Philippa Gregory and I found, you know, Charlotte Bronte and my sort of world opened and it wouldn't have opened if it hadn't been for Witch Child. And then obviously Catherine, who I found, and my mother was slightly horrified when she realised, Oh, Crystal's sitting reading Tilly Trotter. I remember what was in that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and she reached across and tried to dig it off me. And I'm like, yeah, mum, I've already read past the bit that you didn't want me to read. <laughs> you know, and it, I sort of, I went from being the child that really struggled with reading to just loving it because I was really able, if I hadn't found certain books, I don't think I ever would have fallen in love with it. Oh, and yeah, that's, that's- yeah. And that, that was something I was saying to Marianne when I had her on um, at the beginning of all this. I was like, you were what, like her book, Old Magic, was just my first dipping the toe in. And it took me ages to read it. And it's not a big book, but because I was having to learn to read 
and a lot of my life I was in hospital. So I'm learning to read plus be ill at the same time and, you know, be a kid. And she kind of just sort of made it easier. And then I found yours and yours was such an easy read that I didn't, I didn't find myself stalling a lot. And Mm -hmm. I didn't find it like a huge uphill battle that I had been finding other work. And that's what kind of, I was like, if I can do that, if I can like help somebody who's struggling with their reading really get into it, that helps. And I think that helps society move forward as well, because it, it opens the doors to all these other worlds where they can learn all these other different lessons and life lessons. And I just, I love that ability that you have to create that. And the worlds that you created were fantastic. Um, And I actually started to share my, my books with my younger sister. And it was such an honor because she actually read bloodthirst and she was like, I love this. <laughs> she was like one of the first books I'd gotten her to sit and read. And she's, she's not a big reader. She's, she's terribly restless. So I was like, woo, <laughs> one down, gotta go, what's to go. But it, it, you know, it's to me, it's, it's amazing. And I kind of credit a lot of my writing skills to yourself, to Marianne Curley, to Catherine, because what I was reading was what fueled my craft and made me very concerned about how I was putting my own stuff together. And I also, I don't know if you've tried this technique, but I used to ask why to everything. Like, mm-hmm. so if your heroine loves roses more than any other flower in the universe, I had to be able to say why that was. Yeah. And there's not a lot of writers understand that kind of process. That sometimes you need to sit and ask why, otherwise you end up with these gigantic holes. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm always aware of that. I think, yeah, I've always been aware of that as a reader, and when I, it's a sort of second nature as a, when I'm writing, everything has to be accounted for and accountable. There's no, there's no, I can't have anything that's there because I want it to be there. It has to be there for a better reason than that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but that's wonderful hearing you say that about uh, <laughs> Witch Child and. It's, it's great to hear that, really is. Yeah, and I think, really I mean, I never really understood like that, what it would feel like for somebody to say it to me. And then I had this sort of really lost teenager who had not, who'd kind of like given up on books because she hadn't found anything that kind of she connected to. And she read Marie's World. And she's like, the chaos and the level of, depth that I put into every character and there's a lot of characters in Marie's world but it's because it's a chaotic it's supposed to be chaotic world and she goes I finally feel like I found a novel where somebody else is experiencing the chaos that I am and I was like I wrote that purely because I was living in chaos Mm. and it just sort of translated into what I was feeling and yeah, it meant the world to me. So I love being able to pass that on to people that I've written, like that has inspired my writing and made me work hard. But also, I know who's putting all their life work into it as well. So I, I love, the, I love being able to do that at least with this podcast. So yeah, well, it's, <laughs> you're doing a great job, I think. I mean, I think I anyone. Hope so. <laughs> who, well, I think I think it's really important as well for readers to connect with writers and to see it's yeah. not not really a magic well it is magic but it's not magic we're not you know and people think that we're 
in some ways we are special because of what we do, but in yeah. other ways, just normal people who do normal yeah. people things like go to the supermarket and do, you know, sit in the garden and read, you know, do, do things that everyone does. We do and, the boring stuff too. Yeah. And also, means that, you know, the, because the more they hear writers talk, then they, the more they can think, hey, I could do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that yeah, it's, it's easy. It's possible. Anyone can do it. It's not special. It's but not it is also a lifestyle choice. It's special, but it's not exclusive. And, yeah. you know, if you've got a story to tell and a burning desire to tell it, then you can have a go too. And I think that that's a really great message. And it I, is great when you hear, you know, like you said, that yeah. some, that you 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 read my book uh, my books and thought and and really liked them and and the, it got you into reading and um and I love it when I hear that I mean I hear quite a lot from people who tell me they I got them into reading or got them into writing historical fiction or interested yeah. in history and so on and that's great but when when it's like second generation then you you're a writer and then someone says to you I read your book and it spoke to me and I could feel that what you were feeling in it and it that's when when you engage that's what reading is about reading isn't words on the page reading is is being feeling a connection to the book and to the right the writer is is singing your life is saying your life and yeah. that is that's that's when you become a reader because you, that's a great experience. And I also think like if I have to write what I love and I have to really believe in stuff, there was like a period of time, I think it was for like a year, I had a, a book that this publisher was pushing on me and they they told me what they wanted me to write and I, I was sort of told what to write and I hated it. I hated it. And it's not a book I'm proud of because I don't, when I read it back as a reader, because I'm very critical of my own work, but when I went back and I read it, I didn't feel the passion and the purpose behind the words that I do when I look at my first series that I did that actually did well. And I think as well, this show is really good for taking away the myths of that we all sit in mansions and we have, you know, these very comfortable lives where, you know, we've got endless amounts of library space and, you know, we've got 15 dogs running around and, and servants chasing after us. And that couldn't be further from the truth. 90% of us are working class people who've just got really good stories that we want to share with the world. And we make it work, whether, you know, it's difficult or not. And that to me was important because the amount of people that said well you know do you not socialize do you go out do you miss family things and I'm like well yeah I, I do sometimes miss family events because I'm editing or I've got a tight deadline but no I do actually socialize quite a bit you know I, I go to dinners with friends I've been in LA I've met all these weird and wonderful people and that's why I can write these weird and wonderful characters because I've got the, the life experience and I think this show's got that great opportunity, I think. And I originally wanted to do it as a TV series where all of the authors around the world could join in and, you know, there'd be a studio and everything else. But it was just not feasible because I don't think broadcasters and streamers yet have tapped into the fact that you can have authors from all over the world join a show and it can be popular. It can be something really important and something really, really special. And it's worth giving the airtime to. And if nothing else, the podcast is free and everyone can check it out. And it doesn't, you know, there's no monetary value to it. 
And that was more important to me. I didn't want some studio sitting there counting their pennies and saying, oh, you know, we need to advertise. I wanted this to be about the people and about everybody having access to it. At least if, you know, if you've got a phone, you can access the podcast. That's, that's the great thing. If you had time to just sit and read and time was no issue, who would you sit and read? Is it like, would it be a series? Would it be one author? Just all their stuff? Who would it be and why? Um, well, that's that's a very good question um, <laughs> that, that I have to think about. I actually, I was just thinking I might. I think one of the readers that one of the I do. I'm a great admirer of Hilary, Hilary Mantel, yeah. and I read a book of hers called um, um, "A Place of Greater Safety" when I was writing Sauvé, because Sauvé is set in the French Revolution time of the French Revolution. And I think I and I think I there's a book that's coming out soon or it's already come out maybe um, about women in the French Revolution and I think I quite like to read a place of greater safety and that book that I'd have to look up on Amazon about women in the French Revolution Um, because yeah just to compare because I haven't read it for a long time and it was it was. I, I think maybe her first or her second novel, and it has been republished now since. I mean, she wrote it a while ago, but it's yeah. been republished since the success of the of the of the um, of her Tudor trilogy. I mean, whatever it is, quad four books now. But anyway, yeah. of those books, um, yeah, I I, w- I wouldn't mind doing that. But I think I just kind of, if I've got time to read. And I don't always have time. I'm reading no. bed, and sometimes yeah. I'll be reading. I read in, in if I'm writing something, I'll be reading around it and doing research. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I've got loads of books on my Kindle that I really should read. If I buy <laughs> and I don't read, um, so I know yeah, that I, feeling. <laughs> I think I think I might catch up on my Kindle and um, and read read the books that I've I've kind of like the look of and then I download them and then I don't um I don't read them um but my my what I really I do really like listen audible I didn't to start with but now I just love audible so to be able to just sit and listen to someone reading something to me is such a luxury um so it could be I've never been able to get into that because I don't know why but it seems to put me to sleep I seem to like get so far in and then I sort of doze off. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That is a problem because if you go to sleep when you're reading a book, you stop obviously reading. But yeah. if you go to sleep when you're listening to something, it just goes on and you yep. can't, you know, you, you've got no idea where you were. I, I was listening to Mar- uh, Margaret Atwood, her, the, the, the sequel to, um, to, to the, um, to, to her, you know, to her last, I can't remember what it's called now, but the oh. last, the, the the sequel to um, Handmaid's Tale. And yeah. I, and I, I, I think it was the first book I got on Audible. And I made the mistake of listening to it when I was, like I would read it when I was going when I was in bed. Yeah, and I must have listened to about half a page, and I was asleep. And then <laughs> I woke up 
hours later and it was like halfway through the book. And yeah, it's like, like, oh, no. no. Oh, no. You know, what am I going to do? And I have to go to find where I was and start again. So, yeah, yeah it's um, that's the only problem about Audible. You could go to sleep. I mean, I, I, did, I tried it when I was a when I was quite young and that was back when you had the classic cassette tapes that you'd put in and you hit oh gosh I'm sure my age now and put plus play and uh I, I my mom kept finding me completely at, you know I was reading along with the book and she would just find me snoring with my head sort of lying <laughs> on the speaker and she was like Crystal it's not the point of this <laughs> and I'm like I can't help it so yeah I had to I gave it up and then uh of course I have Amazon Prime so it kind of comes with Amazon Prime and uh yeah so I I have to struggle with that a little bit I I'm going to try and get more into it since I have a lot of those um those credits that I don't use and see if I can kind of work my way around it but yeah I mean it, it's it's something I need to learn to do. I need to learn to yeah, not like I mean, for a long time. I, I had it, and and I even had credits because I'd somehow managed to sign up to that without really realizing. I think um, we all had at some point. Yeah. Ever buy it, read, read, listen to them, and all my friends were. And then I thought, no, I don't know. Somebody recognized, and it was a book that I wouldn't. It was a long book. It was a non-fiction book, and I wouldn't. Yeah. I would. I would think twice about reading it, about actually reading it. But yeah. listening to it was much easier, and I and I quite. It was actually like listening to the radio, like yeah. listening to a documentary on the radio. And I really and I quite like documentaries. I like podcasts too. I'm quite into podcasts. I must admit, I, I do that as well because if I'm if I'm getting into the space of writing something, I will stick a podcast on. And I was never really a big podcast fan. And then, funnily enough, a wrestler called Cult Cabana, who is this kind of very comedic man from Chicago, had ended up dragging me into the podcasting world. And I listened to him and I thought, oh, that's quite funny. And I, I, can, I can do 101 things while he's talking absolute rubbish and I can have a good laugh and I can just relax. And And then I find myself listening to him while doing the dishes or you know, hoovering or whatever it was that I had to get done that day. And I just discovered podcasting and I really enjoyed it. And now I listen to Unsolved Crimes or book podcasts or, you know, whatever's um, going at that time. And, and it's good as well because I've been able to keep up with wrestling friends that I would never otherwise been able to keep up with because they all do podcasts on such a regular basis. So it's almost like getting a free update on how certain friends are doing, but without me having to make that really long phone call that two hours yeah. or whatever, you know, I could just listen to a couple of podcasts and do some crafting or, or whatever I need to, to chill out. And it's, yeah, that's, that's why I like it. So is there an author that you would say past or present that really influenced you to get into reading and also who really got you into writing? Um, well, I was thinking about that. Um, and it's a very good question. Um, when I was um, when I first started writing, I um, I wanted to write teenage fiction, teenage yeah. crime fiction, and there weren't there were no there was hardly any British teenage YA. I suppose you call it that, and then it yeah, was YA. Yeah. But there were American writers 
who wrote really really good novels and they yeah. were they were like adult books they were just as challenging reads they yeah. were really like you know they got lots to to lots of to grab hold of and they weren't easy but they made they were so compelling that they took the reader through um yeah. and they didn't patronize and the 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 the, the teenagers at the centre of the book were like adult characters, treated like adult characters, and I really, really liked them. And I was teaching at the time, and all my students liked them. They really liked them. And there was nobody writing like that in, in Britain. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess they were big influences. So that was Robert Cormier and yeah. Lois Duncan were the main ones who I, I kind of modelled my writing on. But also, in fact, the only writer in Britain at the time writing like that was Alan Garner. And I do like Alan Garner a lot. I really admire him. So writers like that made me think it was a really worthwhile thing to do. It wasn't just I'm writing children's books. They they were they were there was a lot more to them. They were really like um, literary. They had real literary merit and depth, and um, like modern, you know, like like old fashioned literary. But they were they were they were lots about them, lots of challenges there but really good they got different points of view they got um lots of different narrative techniques in them flashbacks and fast forwards and and they were complex reads but because they were so compelling my 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 students were whipping through them and they weren't even i mean they were all sorts of readers some of them were good but some of them were quite you know found reading quite a challenge but because they were great stories they wanted to read them and I thought yeah that's what I want to do too so that was a big big influence and I suppose um yeah I, I I suppose that that started me writing I I wanted I had a a definite definite idea of what I wanted to do and they were big influences on me is there any of the new sort of YA thrillers that are coming out that you've sort of seen that you've maybe tried or you've enjoyed? Is there anyone sort of kind of, because there's been a huge explosion of YA thrillers now. I mean, it's become a really sort of big marketplace for different authors and stuff. Is there anybody that sort of stood out to you in the last kind of couple of years that you would say, hey, I've, I've picked that one up because it looked okay or it looked enjoyable? Um, yeah, I mean, I do get, I get quite a lot of YA novels sent to me for me to to read and review, um, yeah. and I guess I mean I, I I'm I'm a big admirer of Patrick Ness. I like him. I mean I know right. him. Yeah, I know him personally, as they say. But yeah, I mean he <laughs> I think he's a good good writer, and and there are yeah there are a few. I mean of um. I can, I'm hopeless. Like, put on it. I can't think of anything. You know, I, I think, think of, of titles. Names. I don't think of author names. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. that bad. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from because I was like, after Witch Child, I was desperate for something to really kind of grip me. And it's funny, I'll always go back to that book if I need something that's just going to grip me and make me excited and, and get me going. And somebody gave me Pretty Little Liars. And it was just this odd sort of thriller crime series. And it was so easy to read. And they're so short. They're only like a, about 
150 pages, 108 pages. And I find those really easy to fly through. But nothing yet has, has gripped me in the same way as Witch Child does. And I kind of, it's almost sad because every YA I read, I sort of measure it up to sort of you <laughs> and Marianne. And I'm like, I'm waiting for somebody to top that. And it's not <laughs> happened yet. And I'm like, come on, people, challenge me. <laughs> challenge me. But um, yeah, and I laugh because, you know, you're the reason partly I got into fantasy was because I loved the witch element of it. And I kind of imagined, you know, what would it actually be like if she was a witch? Yeah. So I kind of ended up into YA. And then I went into like more adult fantasy now. So I've experienced Sarah J. Mass, who's an incredible writer. And I got to experience Kelly Armstrong, who's, who's did a fantastic, um, what they call a quadrant novel. And it's got werewolves and it's got witches and it's got demons and half demons and people, you know, normal people in it as well. So it's sort of a really good mix. And those are bigger books, but they're really enjoyable books. Mm. And I quite like the surface, you know, you're seeing a resurface of fairy tales being taken and modernized. And I quite, I really enjoyed that experience too. And I think there's like a uniqueness about that that's coming out now. Whereas, you know, everyone's read fairy tales at some point in their lives. But I quite like the fact that they're taking these fairy tales, making them more true to what they would have been, you know, yeah, in like, these French like the saloons. Real- the real Grimm's fairy tales, the original ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've when I was when I wrote, um, I suppose speculative fiction. I think they call it now, but, um, <laughs> yeah. for young adults, like like point horror, really. Um, yeah, and those kind of they were spooky, spooky books for Hodler and things. I mean, I really enjoyed doing them. I and but I would always, and so I read read a lot of real really inverted commas ghost stories and also yeah. fairy tales and myths and you know like because that's where the the magic if there's magic is coming up from there so yeah if you if you're writing that uh, that's something that is I mean it's not high fantasy but even high fantasy borrows from from fairy from myths, tales yeah um and fairy stories and and that kind of is really interesting. I think it's a really interesting area that, and I, I, yeah, I, I think that's that they're they're great for for mining into for all sorts of strangeness. You know, they've they've got their sort of eerie quality, strangeness, and yeah, they do, otherness, yeah. and and those that that interests me as an area of fiction. Well, then I, I really honestly recommend. Uh, thorns of court and roses by sarah j mass i think you would find it since you've enjoyed game of thrones i think you would actually find that incredible just with the way that she builds it um i really do sort of love that and if you get a chance to look into into the dark by fiona cummings that okay a gripping gripping novel send me send me a a reading list afterwards and i'll yeah we can exchange reading lists (laughs) Because I quite liked some of your, um, I like American crime uh, very much so. In fact, I watch a lot of true crime stuff because I love it. And the pandemic has allowed me to almost indulge in that a little bit, to discover all these crime shows that I never knew existed. Um, For instance, I've just really found True Detective. And 
you know, it's got uh, Matthew McConaughey in it. And oh, right, yeah, yeah. I had no idea he'd done this. And it was such a, like, a complete... Because I'm used to him as the rom-com guy. So here I am seeing as the serious cop, and I'm thinking, what is this? Like, totally threw me for a loop. Um, And I thought it was going to be, like, little, you know, detective stories, not realizing it's going to be one detective story for an entire season. So... Yeah, I've the pandemic at least has allowed me to indulge in the sort of televisional world. I was going to ask, have you actually gotten to see Bridgerton yet? Pardon? Bridgerton. Have you got to see Bridgerton? No, I, I, I have have issues problems with Bridgerton. I haven't watched Bridgerton. I oh, watched. Oh no, why? I don't. Well, I, I. It's strange. Some things that I just don't appeal to me at all. Yeah. Um I think it's a distortion of. It is um, yes. Of history, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into real deep trouble here, but it, there's something not right about it. Um, it's very romanticized, and I'm very, I'm a real stickler for this is what happened in history. You can't mess about with it, or this is what must yeah. have happened. I mean, you don't know exactly what happened, but that you know, you know the parameters of what was possible and what not possible. So that's, with, that's how I see it. For me, I mean, I like Shona Land as a company, as a television company, because I've seen a lot of their stuff. And anybody that's watched Grey's Anatomy or Station 19 understands they do really good programming. And when Bridgeting came out, I kind of got in my mind it was going to be historically accurate. I don't know why I thought it was going to be historically accurate, but I'm like, I got myself all geared up and then I was really deeply disappointed when it wasn't. And I must admit, I, I watched it hoping and praying that it would not be bad. And I was, mm-hmm. yeah, I was very let down with that. And so I can understand, you know, how you feel on that and, and your feelings on that. Because it's, it's terrifying for me as a writer as I'm writing my very first historical fiction because I don't want to romanticize it in the least. So when you go to a bookstore or the charity shop, um, where do you feel drawn to in the genre settings more than anywhere else? Um, it, I'm, a, I'm quite an omnivorous reader. I read all sorts of different things. I don't read just in one yeah. um, genre. Um that's a tough one. I mean, I'm a real kind of, I just go, you know, if they're going to Waterstones or at a normal bookstore, yeah. I will just look at, I look at the tables and think, oh, that look, I'm go by the covers. You know, I'm oh, terrible for that too. Yeah. <laughs> or, or an author I've already know. Um, yeah. And, and it's a new one of theirs. I guess if I was going to a section, I'd probably go to crime. Yeah, and maybe, maybe, but just maybe, horror and fantasy, but yeah. only to have a really close look because there's a lot that I don't like. Yeah, um, no, I I, I get you on that. I yeah. really don't like, but something that's just different, you know, that I. But often those are the ones that I'll pick up off the off the tables. So the tables work, you know, because they yeah. uh, they weren't me anyway. And that's often how I discover new things. Um, Amazon is different because I don't usually go for their recommendations. No, I don't either. (laughs) I don't like being 
I don't like being manipulated by the algorithm that yeah. you will like this. How do you know I'm going to like that? I'm not going to like that. I'm not going to like that because you said I was going to like yes, that. Yes, I have so, the same opinion. Yes. I, um, usually I only go to Amazon to get something specific that I've read about, seen, yep. someone's told me about, then I'll go and, and get it. But I just don't like that. I have really hate that feeling of being manipulated by by the computer yeah yeah i i have a terrible habit is um if i've got a set of books that i'm looking for i do it on ebay because there's no rhythm telling me you've got to buy this you know yeah 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 and i can just google it on ebay and it's like you can get it for a pound you're almost recycling in a way so i don't feel bad about cutting down trees no no i i i know i can feel that yeah, yeah, I sometimes I get books. I depending really on what I'm writing, but I get quite a lot of books from a books anyway. So you know they're yeah. secondhand from booksellers. I if I can, I'll buy them from an actual bookseller, not the book depository, which is just a. I mean, it seems I think Amazon taking that over now. So yeah, if I, and I think that's good because that you know it keeps the little secondhand book shops going, going because yeah. they're selling yeah. things online. So. Um, and I, th- I think particularly in the pandemic, they got hit really hard because some of them they, had cafes yeah, in them and, and I just felt got- for them. Like, and that's why I was like, I knew a lot of them took to eBay to sell their books. And I know that I don't like throwing out books either. So what I do is I will put them on eBay for a while. And if they don't sell on eBay, I donate them to the charity shop because I want other people to love the books. I don't want them to be sitting, you know, in a rubbish heap somewhere. And that's how I kind of share and I keep keep the cycle of reading going almost and that's why I decided to do it with eBay and also you find that you don't get hit with a lot of the hidden costs that Amazon hit you with too so like instead of a I've seen like a pound or maybe two pound being added to some people's books when you can get them you know in, in Waterstones for less or you can get them you know on ebay for less but the author's still making the money it's just you're not getting flinched an extra two pound because it's because it's amazon um so yeah i started looking elsewhere and and i know that sounds awful and everyone's going to be like but in a way i had to do that because there's a lot of like when you're buying a lot of books it costs you know the costs yeah add absolutely up. i mean and if you've actually got a lot of books like i got a lot of books um I, I have to, like, you're right, I, I just can't think about throwing them into a tip. I just can't think about doing that. I think it's awful. So I have to find ways of of shifting them, you know. And Rehoming them, yeah. From overwhelming the local Oxfam bookshop. And, um, yeah, I'm, I was, so any any tips on, on, on how, to, how to, to move your books on and acquire other ones? I never thought of buying them on eBay at all. I yeah, and, and like, I mean the great thing is you I, can I actually get signed copies, you know, because if you go on the the what they call premium collections, or to try and get a signed book, you're talking about thirty pound for a signed copy, and sometimes what the book shops do, particularly Waterstones does, is if they have extra signed copies, they stick them on eBay. They don't put it on Amazon; they put them on eBay. So it's. I didn't know any of that. So yeah, so really like, I go on there and I can get a signed copy, and then that to me is it's like it, it makes it extra special, and I don't want to get rid of it. 
However, then Ian looks at me funny when like the, the books start coming in the post and he's like, Crystal, who have you been buying? Yeah. <laughs> and I have to own up to it, you know? But um, yeah, it's it's so weird because that is, you know, that, that's my little trick that I do. And I know a lot of readers have said to me, oh, how do you, how do you get all these books? And, and that's how. And to rehome mine, I'm... I'm terrible. I give them to my mother-in-law and I say, yeah, can you stick this down in the charity shop? And she'll actually let her friends go through the books first. And if they like the look at any, they go with them. And then I know they're being read and they're passed around the holiday park and then they eventually get to the charity yeah. shop maybe well, like a year and a half later. But it's good. That's the most important thing, isn't it? That yeah. they're getting read by someone. Yeah, and that, that's what I said, you know, uh, to her. I'm like, as long as the books are being read and it's not just collecting dust or you know kind of getting to that point where they're falling apart because they haven't been read or they're lying in a skip that to me seems like a, an awful end to to that life of a book so yeah I, that, that's something I do so we're going to get into the uh, writing portion of this podcast so I'm going to ask you how do you get your mind into the darker sort of elements of your story because I know with you, you you had sort of like that constant running fear factor in a lot of your your earlier stuff, and I know that you have that in your new one as well. So, how do you get your mind into that sort of place to do that? Um, and I know I've 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 pondered and thought about this, and it's quite I don't know really. I I just kind of. When I'm writing, I just think myself into whatever the situation is and whatever the character is and explore, I mean, if it's their, their emotions, but also I, I, I like, I mean, when I was, um, when I wrote for young adults, I used yeah. to actively want to frighten them. You know, yeah. if I'm writing scary stuff, I think of them, you know, I, I put myself in that situation and things that think well if it's going to scare me I it will scare other people so yeah, you, exactly. just, I and I really like that I like right I like that kind of writing so I like creating atmosphere it's one of the things I enjoy most in writing so um I guess I I just yeah I just do it just do it I don't really know how or why I just see just I, I'm terrible because when I when I the dark stuff comes out easy for me. But see that kind of when it gets to that point where I have to write the end and I have to say goodbye and I have to move on to the next thing, I procrastinate because that to me is the worst part, is writing the end. I hate oh, writing your the world. end. Sometimes, I, I mean, I used to be, let's be the opposite. I used to I used to want to finish it. and oh, then right. was, Yeah, and the, the, the editor would say, you know, you're you're really galloping to the end there. You said it's a bit, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit bit sudden. You yeah, have to make it longer. You write write more. But I get to the, no, that's it. That's the end of the story. That's it. End of this story. Yeah. Beginning of another one. But I'm not writing that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I I think it's because, like, to me, every book, I get so attached to the characters because I write based on emotion. Um, so I get emotionally invested in it and then then the idea of shutting it and walking away and going and writing something else is almost foreign because I've gotten so used to being 
dwelling in that world and dwelling yeah. within them. And then the idea of saying, okay, you guys are done. Your, you know, your whole story is done. Go off and live. Your it's so weird to me. And also I tend to, del my brain, once it finishes a book, it deletes it so that I have room for the next one. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think that's very common. It's also something people don't understand. So yeah. when they read the book, even if you wrote it 20 years ago, in some cases, like 20 years, like Witch Child 20 years ago, yeah. um, they expect you to have the freshness yes, of their exactly. it. So it, it's yeah. fresh in their head. So you, it's quite sometimes, I don't find it that difficult because it's there somewhere, like in a compartment. But it's yeah. like in a, I guess in a, um, like a an archive box that you have to open up and then you have to go through to, again to find out to remember why you did, wrote this or why you did it like that or those yeah. sorts of details. What I don't, I I can remember things like that. I can even remember like what I was thinking on the page. What I yeah. can't remember sometimes recall is things like how old Mary is. Because she, yeah. I think her age changed about four times. She was younger than she was older because of the nothing to do with the, with the actual book, but to do with the publishing of the book and yeah. where they want to place it in the market. And most readers are like horrified. Well, she's either <laughs> 13 or she's 10. Well, no, she's not 10 because they decided she had to be, play, it was a young adult book, so she had to be she older. Had to be 13, and they're yeah. like, no, that's not how books should work, but it is how they work to yeah. some degree. But I think to answer your question in another way, I think we all, if we can, if we write that kind of fiction where dark things happen and dark things are explored, we are exploring the darker parts of ourselves. Yes, you know, the darker true. parts of our, our characters, of our lives, of our mental landscape and emotional landscape. We go into those areas that other people perhaps don't or or shut the door on. And I think there's a lot of um a lot of um movement between the conscious mind and the subconscious or unconscious yeah. unconscious mind the dream world you know the dream mind yes. and i think that we can access that maybe easier than other people can and i think i think writers in and i've kind of heard this from a lot of different ones is we tend to remember our dreams better like so if we have that nail-biting awful nightmare it lingers with a lot of us yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I've that's kind mind. of good feel sometimes if you really need to get like if you've got a book and you know it has to have a really dark section in it, you can almost tap into those nightmares and almost open a spare file and say, right, I'm going to pour my heart out into this because I spent all the last night in a cold sweat because I had a nightmare about something totally unrelated. Um, and I, that's what I found works for me in particular is if I've had a night of, you know, whatever because I've had a temperature or whatever and I've, I've had the nightmare from hell it's easier for me to then go write that darker side and I mean I laugh because I've, I've been working on a crime novel now for gosh it's coming on what six years seven years but in order for me to get into the dark parts of that particular story I have to wait till I have that nail-biting nightmare <laughs> and it doesn't always come you know you can't just like plan right i'm gonna have a nightmare tonight so i kind of had to write it over periods of time when the nightmares that i get from having medical ptsd 
actually erupts and I can tap into it. And I'm really lucky because I've got a, a detective in, in, in America who I work with and he's retired now, thank, thank goodness. But he was on TV and he made his name investigating these crimes. And he's really good at just sort of saying to me, well, this is procedure and this is procedure, you know, do this and do that. And he keeps me right. But he knows that it takes me a long time to get to that point because I have to have that darkness seeping in through. And I must admit, I've done a lot of writing on it in the past year because I've had a lot of health issues. So I've had those nightmares because of the health issues. So I, I kind of, that's how I do it. And I think, I think it comes through in my writing when I do it that way. Whereas if I try and force it, it doesn't necessarily work as well. And I know that is the case for Marie's world where she's having to feel the betrayal. And I was sort of going through that own dark betrayal period of my own life. And it, it gave me that emotional connection to be able to write it legitimately. And in a way that I knew other people would be able to connect into and understand. And that, I almost felt like you were going to going through a similar thing when you were writing your stuff that you were tapping into stuff that you were feeling or you were dealing with and it was really shining through on the page for you too. Yeah, it def I think it definitely can if you're going through a difficult it can be translated out of whatever you're suffering or whatever your time you're going through into something that is unrecognizably different. But the 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 strength and the power of the emotion is under the page, as it were, that the yeah. reader senses it. It might not be on the page, but they're sensing the power of the emotions. And I think that's that that is very effective when you're writing, that you really do have to go into the dark places. Because if yeah. you don't, they don't have that feeling of, of authenticity, of emotion even if it's really difficult, even if it's not really a, anything that then the thing that you've experienced, you can by proxy experience it. You can think, yeah. well, if I was in that situation, how would I feel? And you yeah. can go into it. And I think that's the skill of the writer. And that's what makes writers different is that they, they can do it and they are prepared to do it. And other people would shy away or would not want to do that. They don't want to think about it. So if yeah. you think about the things other people don't want to think about, I think. Yeah. And I, I think we're also curious in that regard. Like we're very, we're almost like cats. We're very curious. Yeah. And it sometimes gets us into trouble, our curiosity, I think. <laughs> but I know particularly for me, if I'm in hospital, I am so curious. I have conversations with everybody and my husband usually looks at me funny as if to say, Crystal, you've talked to like every single person on your ward or you've talked to every single nurse or and all of them know me because I, I I'm curious I want to know these people so yeah I definitely think that so, so when you write is it for you like a jigsaw puzzle you're putting together or do you have a movie kind of feel when you're writing your your books oh no it's like a um it's like a film when if I'm writing like really writing it's always like a film yeah I mean I have to zoom in and out and sort yeah. of like, um, okay, what's in that corner and what's in the background and what's around the person? Even if you're not going to describe it, you have to know because yeah, exactly. otherwise you're just they're just there. You know, you're not with no context. Um, so yeah, it's always like a film. I think sometimes the whole thing is like a jigsaw puzzle, 
but maybe yeah. that's more like editing a film together. So, I think do you know so, what I mean? Yeah, so, like it must be like that when they're putting a film together because yeah, I they're think, having I to think slice film, it. For me, the f- film is a much better analogy. That is what I see. I see it in my head, and then yeah. I write down what I see. And also because it's 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 like multi-dimensional. Yeah, um, it has to be, isn't it? So I also write down what I feel and what my character's feeling and what the other characters are feeling, and so I'm writing down all the things, not just a film. You just see it, but you can. It's more experience. No, it's a bit like it's a, it's a bit like you're creating a scene in somebody else's head, and in their head, it can have everything in. It can have the sound of the wind. It can have wetness of water. It can have tears. It can have it can yeah. have deep fear. All of those things that, that the reader will experience if you're writing it in the right way. And yeah. so it's that's how I I I write. I mean, because I've I've admired people that say, oh, you know, we write it um, a chapter here, and then I might go back and write a chapter there, or a scene here, or a scene there. And I think to myself, wow, when it comes to putting all that together, that must be an incredible feat. Because for me, I have to write lineage. Linlidla, that big fancy word I, I can't say <laughs> but I have to write it in order because if I don't I lose completely where I am doesn't mean that I haven't broken down every single chapter with bullet points so I know how it's going to work because I do but I could never like I have one book that I'm trying to piece together that's all scenes and it has driven me mad for four years because it is such a a hassle trying to say okay that scene goes with this and that chapter goes there and I wish I hadn't done it it was a writing style I, I tried and yeah. I now really really hate because I'm still trying <laughs> to fix it and I'm four years on and I'm like Arr! but I get it because I, I, I had to do it to experience what other writers had done and what other writers have tried but <laughs> I have a great admiration for them for that reason for you, which character have you written that stayed with you the most or the longest after you finished their story? Oh, character. Yes. Which character? Oh, it would have to be Mary, really, from Witchard, because she was with me for two books for, for yeah. Witchard and Sorceress, and that yeah. they took a while. I mean, it not the longest I took to write a book or even two books, but she was an intense character she and was, because yeah. she was I wrote about her as a child but also a woman yeah um and she, yeah she was there for for with me for a long long time and it was like you know like you were saying about not wanting to leave the book um it was strange because she actually left the book yeah she more or less said that's it I don't there's not no more there's no more about me yeah, exactly. And it was really strange. I mean, she that was the end. She, she just walked out of the book in a way and disappeared. Um, so, yeah, I mean, she, she was the one who stayed with me most. I think also Nancy and um, and Miranda um, Minerva in um, Pirates, Yeah, they stayed with me too because I, lo- I just loved them as characters. They were just such joy to write. They were joys to write those two. And they were That's really, such, they came across so well as, you know, that, as characters They were just as well. such amazing characters. And, I mean, they just were. They came alive. 
I mean, Nancy yeah. right from the beginning, but Minerva wouldn't for a long time. She was unknowable. She was like, you know, I, I don't know why you're even yeah. talking about me. Um, but then she did too. And I mean, she came alive because of her friendship, because Nancy brought her alive. It was yeah. just magical. And I, I like it, a magic trick. In the, and it wasn't a trick. It was just a magical thing happening that these characters were there and they were yeah. real. And that's special when that happens. It doesn't always happen. Um, I, know, I had that experience when I had, um, I brought in this character, Amber, who's the half sister to the twins. And she was like, she was almost like I was hitting a brick wall with her to begin with. Like she just, she was there, but she wasn't like, yeah. she was like a stone cold wall. I wouldn't let you know her. No, and then all of a sudden she just sort of opened up and she was this hugely diff really important character. I had never planned to have her in the entire series. Yeah. Don't you love and that? And she kind of took it- over a little bit and I'm like I love that when it happens. Because yeah. it means that however much carefully you planned your book out, it's never going to be like that because this character that wasn't there to start with or even even at all is suddenly there on the page and they've taken over. And yeah. then they say, no, I'm not going to do that. Or, no, she wouldn't do that. I'm not going to do that. And yeah. you have to think of a whole new set of circumstances. And, I, I mean, for me, Amber ended up having an entire, her own entire book because she just was this very dominating character who demanded that you know her and that you know her story. And and I, I gave in and I gave her her very own, her very own book. Um, is there a character you wish you could have written more about? Or that you would like to go back and write more about? Um, yes, there is. There's two characters really. Um, in Miss Graham's War, the, my latest one, this this the character of Dory, who's a an ex SOE agent, and she's a great character. And I'd love to write a book about Dory. And also, I'm very interested in Adeline, who was the is the photographer. Yeah, and I'm. I'm interested in women in uh, in war, yes. women's role in war, and women who did extraordinary things like the American um, and British also, but mo- a lot of American photojournalists and journalists, women journalists, did were extraordinary, and the, and they 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 just did the most astonishing things in the teeth of male opposition and yeah. and discrimination and not being allowed to go here, go there, not, I mean, they had to, um, Marthy Gellhorn smuggled herself on to a boat going over to D-Day and yes. and attached herself to the nurses because yeah. they could only, they were not allowed near, anywhere near the battlefield, but she, because she was, she was in the hospitals and yes. talking to the nurses and the young GIs who were being brought in, blown to pieces and with terrible injuries and telling their stories and sending yeah. their stories back to America. And and it was just, you know, amazing because that, that's what people wanted to hear about. They wanted exactly. to hear what's happening to their sons and their husbands and their brothers and and they were telling and a lot of them those... didn't believe what was coming out, especially when they were going to the cinemas and they were watching it in the cinema settings. Um, I know, like, when I started doing my own series, my own World War II series, which I've been building for quite some time, because I actually went and spoke 
and spent time in the nursing home that my that my mom worked in and I spoke to quite a few of the older ones and I got their stories about running the bus mission from Shetland across into these countries and they were not trained you know navy they were not trained army they were not trained ARAF but here they were going with their fishing boats across this dangerous piece of water to help people get people to safety and they were also going out and they were sort of getting the ones that were being left in the ocean to drown. They were rescuing them and they were giving them that opportunity, a second life. And to me, that was what made me interested. And in when I decided to sit and write it, because these stories are going to get forgotten about because a lot of the people from World War II time are slowly slipping away from yeah. us. Yes, they, they are. their voices are being are going are, yeah being and particularly silent. i think it's now more important when we're looking at the situation in ukraine and we're looking at the hostile tensions and shetland played a, a big role and, and most people don't actually know this but they played a big role in the cold war because they had the radar system that was put in and they had the listening technology and they were able to pass on to the british government hey you know this Russian ship can get by the radar system. Or, you know, we've seen an influx of Russian ships in the North Sea fishing or just doing patrols or doing flyovers. And that was valuable information for Britain. And I kind of decided that I wanted to sort of keep these memories going, keep these um, these stories alive. And that's, I know it's going to take me a long time to write the story the way I well, want to, sounds, but it would be worth it. Really, really interesting. Very interesting. I love books that are that are about some part aspect, say, of the war that I don't know anything about. Yeah, and and I I don't know anything about that. I mean, I think I read somewhere about about how Shetland would ferry people from Norway. They would, yeah. you know, people escaping through Norway um, or from Norway would they would pick them up and bring them to the yeah. Shetland Islands. And, and sometimes, you know, we, we look at the Isle crossings in horror, but that was actually going on in World War II. People were trying to go across in dinghies. They were trying to go across in power boats, you know, whatever they could get their hands on because yeah. they were fleeing for their lives. And Shetlanders, because they were always in the sea fishing anyway, which I don't think people realize that Shetlanders were out most of the year fishing, they would pick up these boats and they would rescue these people and they didn't ask, are you German or are you, where are you from? They didn't care. Yeah. It was, they abided by the law of the sea and yeah. the sea was what was important to them. And, and they have to be rescued. Yeah. And when I tried yeah. to sort of tell the stories kind of as an anthology, they said, no, it's not going to work. I had so many publishers tell me that wouldn't work. So what I've done is I've, I've tied it to the last royal line that connects Scotland to Shetland, the last Earl and the last Lady of Shetland. And that seems to be a really good catalyst for those stories because you're you're taking it from the perspective of the women that are waiting at home for these men to come back, waiting to hear if a ship has come back to the to the port. But you also hear about the Shetland women who went to extraordinary lengths to feed their neighbours and their own families. You're talking about women who would take out little rowing boats 
into a North Sea, and North Sea is not, not an easy sea, it's a very wild sea, to get enough fish to feed their families because they knew those fishing boats were needed to rescue people. So it was that stories to me were super important and I was so shocked that nobody else had written them. So that well, you know, that's what I've been working on in the secret background of Yeah. I'd love to read it when you finish it. I, I will send you it. You will right. once it's yeah. done with the editors and stuff, I will yeah. send it. But I, I mean, do I think it'll find a publisher? No. But the fact that I've written it and I know that I've rescued it and it's there, that's No, I, that's I really would like to read it. Yeah. Um so I can't wait to share that. It's 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 been a long, long difficult road, but I'm enjoying it. Uh, so what techniques over your years have you found the most helpful? And has there been one that you've thought why did I try that? <laughs> what was I thinking? Uh, well, yeah, I, it's, uh, um, well, I, I, I kind of avoid the ones that I know that won't work for me. Like I right. don't like, um, I can't, I don't like, I can't, a, I can't just write. Yeah. I can't, I have to have some sort of plan or some sort of, um, I think some they call sort it of idea where I'm yes. going, some sort of story yeah. plan. But I don't like a very detailed one because if I have to, by the time I've written the detailed plan out, I've lost interest in it. Yeah. I don't want yes, to that's me. Yep. The whole thing. Um, and I guess the, 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 the techniques that I found most useful as a writer are the, the Pomodoro, like, like um you know what the the um the having a timer on your desk mm-hmm. and you can you write for half an hour they say oh we're only going to write for half an hour it's okay at half an hour I could do half an hour and of course you do far more than half an hour so you that like I found hour. that really yeah. useful if I was just finding it really difficult to settle down to write and and also for a while I was um I I was I you know Julia Cameron the um writer and artist way yeah and I found that really useful when I was going through quite a difficult time with writing and not writing and not knowing what I wanted to write and um and she I I I followed her pages you know like you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is write three pages like journaling I think they they probably call it now but I found that really really helpful of getting me out of a bit of a uh, uh, see I do that actually and it's it's weird because I will set myself a target and I'll be like okay today I'm going to do a thousand words and of course I'll end up doing more than a thousand words but it's good because I've got that goal that I have to take in my head yeah to almost make me say okay I've I've achieved my stuff today. I can I can go and cross stitch, or I can go and you know spend time with my husband and not feel too guilty that I'm not putting in the hours. Um, the only time that doesn't work for me is when I'm doing edits, because I have to go so slowly through my edits to make sure I don't miss anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> what should take me like a couple of days will actually take me two or three weeks because I do 10 pages, stop, take a break, go back, do another 10, because I don't want to rush it and make mistakes. And I I didn't do that when I first started out. And it's almost the longer I've been doing this, the more I have to force myself to like, okay, 
let's just calm it down, do 10 pages. And it's good because by the time I finish 10 pages, I finish my cup of coffee. So it gives me an excuse because I can get up, you know, go to the bathroom, make another cupper, grab some biscuits and go back or get up and go and I actually eat my lunch and not forget to eat, which is a terrible habit of mine when I'm really in the groove. Or sometimes Ian says I look like a mad scientist because I forget to brush my hair and it's all in different, you know, layers and spikes and stuff. Um, anybody who's got frizzy hair understands that a little bit of humidity and it goes. Um and he thinks it's hilarious, so it does, doesn't does not help situations. So going into the last part of our podcast tonight, we're going to talk about your life and the things that you do um, outside of writing. So what's the first thing you do when you want to de-stress and kind of get away from editing and writing? Um, well, sometimes I literally walk away from it. Um, That's I, a good I, idea. I like, I like walking. So if I'm stuck, I go out for a walk. If I, um, if I'm, I'm having, writing something, I've got to a difficult, knotty bit, go out for a walk. I've yep. got a friend who said, if you've got a writing problem, you go go out for a walk and you don't stop. You cannot turn around yeah. and come home until you have sorted it out. And quite often it actually works because the cool. rhythm of walking, I find it quite releasing. Yeah. Um, so I and I swim, and I'm not not all the time, but I do like swimming, and I can go go swimming and swimming yeah. again. It the I think the physical movement, moving your body, frees your mind and lets it relax, not yeah, stress. It does, yeah. And then the ideas and things come, and you think, oh yeah, why can't I do that? I also do yoga um, and kundalini. I swear yoga. by that. Yeah, yoga, yoga's, I swear by it because I feel like it just calms you almost in a way. Yeah. And it, it helps focus your mind. I think for me, like I get so distracted by the world around me. And I think that's a lot to do with the learning difficulties I have. So I have to literally focus in on something in order to think through my problems in writing. So like, if I'm having an exceedingly bad day with writing, I will go cross-stitch and I'll put a podcast on. And I'm guaranteed by the end of the podcast, I'll have worked out where I've gone wrong or worked out how to fix the problem. Because I think with my disease, I, I wish I could walk away from it and go for a long walk, but I can't because I know mm-hmm. like I'll go so far and then my body will be like, you do realize you have to walk home, right? <laughs> and it kind of <laughs> reminds me and I'm like, oh, crap, i got to walk home now. See, if I could just walk to one place and then teleport back, that would be so much easier. It's the walking home part that I was never good at. Um, so, yeah, but I love that. I love, like, the idea of just walking away from it. So what hobbies would you, uh, do you enjoy and what ones would you want to explore if you had more time to, to explore them? Um, well, I don't really have, I have to, I don't really have any hobbies apart from, you know, things like like yoga and yeah. I do quite a lot of yoga. I do kundalini yoga as well. And um and they're not kind of hobbies though, are they? They're kind of sports really. Um I I would all I I quit promising myself and I have been for a, promising for many years that I was going to I I'll take up drawing. There's a book yeah. called Drawing on the Left Hand Side of the Brain, which 
I bought years ago, someone bought for me, and I've never actually done it. And so yeah. I think I'd like to try that. Yeah, I would like to do I'd like to do something. I'm not, I'm really terrible at sewing. I cannot sew. Um, it took me a long time to learn how to be good at it. No, I, I'm really, I think I was traumatized as a child because I'm left handed. And yeah. it's quite difficult to teach left handed children knitting and sewing because they do everything backwards as far as the teachers are concerned. Yeah. And so um, I think I was just utterly traumatized. So I, I I don't like sewing and I don't I don't like knitting. I can't it's, knit. it's funny you say that because my my um at the time I learned I was antidactrous. So I could use either hand and I was really good at either hand. But my gran got a hold of me. I was sort of like seven or eight and she started with me and she's like, You are going to learn to knit. Okay. Because her rule in her house was you couldn't be sitting in her house and do any, like your hands had to be doing something. Yeah. She had this great belief in idle hands cause problems. And so she would just always have us knitting or sewing or, um, and my dad, you know, he, he got away with it because he was a boy. So boys didn't have to, but boys had to know how to paint. So my brother had to do the drawing and I was doing the sewing. And I reckon that's probably given me and him the patience that we have because we've got this endless amount of patience for people and certain things that we're doing. And I think that's where we get it from. But she said, mm-hmm. you're not having any of this antidactrous stuff. You're going to sew with <laughs> your right hand and you're going to knit with your right hand. And I don't care if it's difficult. <laughs> so, you know, she kind of laid the law down on me and I was like, okay okay nana i'll do exactly as you tell me to do and i did and i'm grateful for that because i can give my family like cushions i've made or embroidery pillows i've made or quilt quilts that i've made i can do the front of the quilts but see actually doing the sewing machine part Mm. i'm not any good at that part so i I normally give that to like my mother-in-law or my mom and i'll say right could you sew this up because i need to give it to so and so (laughs) and i can't do it um but they're actually trying to force me to do it now, so I'm having to use a sewing machine for the first time. <laughs> God knows, 20-odd years. I was fighting with it the other day, and my hubby thought it was the most hilarious thing he'd see. <laughs> but sometimes you need to do that. And it's funny you say that, because my next question was going to be, um, are you somebody that likes crafts? And, and if not, then uh, what other ways do you kind of explore your creativity and, and relax at the same time? Um, well, I, I've as we just answered the question, really. No, I'm not a crafty person. <laughs> I don't do craft, but I do like to cook. I like Ooh. cooking, so yeah. I guess that's probably how I, I, my other area of de-stressing and creativity. I, I'm really. It's like a good cooking. one. It's a really good so, area to have. Though. You know, like it's um, Miss Graham's Cold War cookbook. To st- it was to start with, and. I mean, I I I do like cooking, cooking, and I like cookery, and I like cookery books. I like cookery writing. So yeah, yeah. I, I guess I I would say cookery would be one of my areas of creative activity. See, my hubby put me off that because he's such a picky, you know, eater that I can't cook for him because he doesn't like things I cook. So I kind of learned uh, I learned to kind of get away from that. For me, as, as the readers know, my my health is my reason to slow down and enjoy every day. So what is your thing that makes you slow down and sort of smell the roses and appreciate the day? 
Well, I like, I like, I've got a really small garden, but I like being in the garden. Yeah. And I like, I like being in, in nature. I like walking in the fields and, you know, we, we, where I live is in a town, but within a hundred yards, there's countryside. And I, I like that. I like to be outside, out in the fresh air, and, or even in the parks. You know, the looking at the trees, looking at the water, and the and the rivers. I like rivers and water. Um, That's cool. Yeah, I really like that answer because it's for me. Like, I don't have that that choice. Almost like, you know, COVID was a great reminder. It was almost like a mortal reminder to me that I have to really enjoy every day because my my disease. Um, you know, you never know when you're going to hit a complication and you never know when you're going to spend sort of six months or three months in hospital sometimes. Mm-hmm. And anybody knows anything about living in hospital, you don't get any peace and quiet. It's not a thing. Yeah. Convalescing's no, not a thing. So I kind of almost enjoy every day that I'm out. It's like, yes, I've gotten six months out. I'm doing really well. And I have to almost enjoy those milestones a bit. And my hubby never actually realized that because I went through a period of being really, really well. And then I started having these sort of random sabbatic stays. And he would actually watch me marking the good times of, okay, I've been out for three months or six months or nine months. Um, And that, you know, COVID was a big reminder of, you know, you're not guaranteed every day. And I was Mm. sort of reminded of that, especially when I was told, you know, you're high risk, don't leave the house. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you must have felt very vulnerable. Yeah, and then it, it was really interesting that I felt vulnerable. I felt caged, and I wanted to go all these places, and I wanted to go out, and I couldn't go out because there was all these restrictions. And at the time, I didn't even like, because the information was so kind of varied, I didn't even like going out in the garden because I was scared one of the neighbours would come over and and I would have to try and keep two metres distance or, and it it was that odd kind of change of living for me. It mm. almost sort of threw me for a loop. And But it has, it's made me very appreciative. And now that the restrictions are lifted, I am going to cafes and I am going to restaurants and I am kind of getting back out there. But for, for two years, I was, I was getting close to the, I can't leave the house because it was such mm. a, a terrifying time for me. And I think there's been a lot of people that's, that's been going through that. And our yeah, last question, I, um, which I know that you've probably answered, I'm going to say, what's your favorite place to curl up in during the day? Your garden or somewhere in the house? Or I, I, Yeah, I like to be, I mean, the garden has to be warm, though. I yes. I mean, yeah. it's been a bit, the sun was, it was really warm for a couple of days. And now it's, the cat, even the cat's coming inside. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I've, I like having some time where I can just sit in a chair in my study or or even just lie on the bed and read. Yes. I, I just, it's such a luxury, you know, pop yourself up with a couple of cushions and just read in the afternoon. It's great. Or on a settee downstairs or somewhere. So, um, or yeah, and husband usually sticks his head in and says, yeah, but he's still awake. He, he, he <laughs> He's a t- he likes watching TV a lot. I mean, he likes watching films and series and stuff on TV. Yeah. And I, I really don't like watching television in the day. I'm yeah. quite puritanical about it. So I won't watch television in the daytime. So I, I will read, though. And so if I've got, I mean, often the day's full of lots of other things. But 
if I've got sort of, you know, a couple of hours to just sit and read, it's just such a luxury. Or it is. It's, sort of it's an amazing a thing. podcast or listen to um, a book, an audible book. Um, I really like that. See, I, I always said to husband, you know, when we get our final house, I need a conservatory. And he can't understand this. But growing up in Shetland, everyone had conservatories because the weather's so bad. Yeah. You don't get out very often because it's always like 60, 80 mile an hour winds and there's no yeah. trees. <laughs> so and I don't think people kind of understand that when they come to Shetland and they look around and it's like, wait, where's trees? Uh, they don't grow here because of the weather. So, yeah, conservatories was always the thing. And we would sit and I loved my aunts. My aunts was my favorite. And I would sit in her conservatory and she had just this big open space and she had window seats built in to like the big circular window and I would love to just get up on there with my my little slippers I'd take my slippers off put my feet up and have my cup of tea and my book and I would read quite happily in the summer and that was my space to go to and then when I had to stick at my nan's it was a window seat right at her her living room the only problem with that was all the cars that would go by were so distracting when I was reading (laughs) I'd be reading and then this car would go by and I'd be like oh, Fred's just gone up the street or whoever it was, like, totally thrown me. And I I had to stop sitting there. But she actually did up her back bedroom for me. So I would go up there and it wasn't too cold and I could just sit and I could read and the birds would fly by the window and it was almost perfect. And I, I say that to Ian, like, that's why Shetland Houses has got so many windows because we don't get any sunlight in the winter. It's awful. Yeah. But in the summer, we've got what's known as endless day. So like, it doesn't set. So you get like lot, and I have seen myself read all night because you kind of almost, your brain waits for the moon to come up to go to sleep. And of course, when you don't have that, I ended up writing one night all night for like two days straight. I just wrote because there was all this light and I couldn't get my brain to switch off until I finished it. And then once I'd finished it, I just fell asleep. (laughs) My dad's like, are you okay? But it was fantastic because it was the light was just such a big fuel source for me. And I love that. I kind of miss conservatories since I've moved, I must admit. Um, I kind of say that to my husband all the time. I've, I've, I, 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 I'm with you there. I'd love a conservatory. Yeah. And fun. they're always nice and toasty too. So you don't have to worry yeah. about like temperatures and controlling it and stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to give you um, four words now because this is the word game. And. Okay. It is very much themed on the witch girl because when I uh, when I came up with it in my head, I had that book in my brain. So I apologize. There's a little bit of a theme. So my first word is herbs. Herbs. Yeah, like herbs. thyme and rosemary. Yeah. So I mean, how does it work? I've got to think of a. You just say the word that first word that comes to your head. Herb. Yeah. So, so I give you herbs. Her, what do you... I say? I say medicine woman. Ooh, I like that. Lamb. Heath. Oh, okay. Thatched roofs. Hmm? Thatched roofs. You know, like in the olden days, you'd get thatched roofs with like... Oh, thatched roofs. Thatched roof cottage. See, I thought that too. And then I had huts. Hut. Yeah. 
Um, us. And uh, forests. We'll finish with forests because that's always the forest. best word. Trees. Yeah. See, I like that. I like the word game because it's sometimes good. It racks stuff loose a little bit in my head. So I, I like doing that. But thank you so much for coming on. And it has been an absolute honor, honestly. I I thank you so much for my career and for my journey. So thank you so much for coming on. And I will have to have you back when you do your next book. Absolutely. And I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for inviting me. And it's it, yes, it's a, it's wonderful. I feel so that. honored, honestly. And I, I was um, talking about you all day for like, I think it was four or five days straight. And Ian's like, would you shut up? Yeah. <laughs> He's just, he got to that point of his Glaswegian came out. He's like, Arr! and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I'm going, I'm going. So, yeah. But yeah, guys, join us back next week for the Book and Life podcast, where we've got another guest that you're not going to quite believe has shown up. So until then, see you soon.